0: So when my father passed away 12 years ago, my mum and my two sisters and I were all with him around his bedside. And even though he had been sick for quite a while and we were anticipating his passing, nothing can prepare you for how you feel after someone you love takes their final breath. And in fact, even though my mum, my two sisters and I had all anticipated this and we all experienced the same crisis in that moment. We all experienced grief in a really different way from that point on. One of us liked to cry a lot and express their feelings through their tears. One of us didn't really want to cry at all, one of us was happy to be around lots of people where another one of us just wanted to be left right alone. One of us was happy to to get busy and, you know, take their mind up by doing lots of things where another one of us just wanted to sit and be. The same crisis but a different expression of grief for each one of us. Over the next couple of weeks, we are looking at a series that we're calling Jesus Encounters. And we're going to look at ways that Jesus encounters different people. Stories that we read in Scripture of how Jesus encounters people when he was here on earth. And as we read and learn about how he engages with people back then, it helps us have an understanding of how Jesus engages with us today. So the story we're gonna look at today is the story of Jesus encountering Martha and Mary around the death of their brother. And as we do so, we're gonna learn how God and how Jesus engages with us when we experience grief or loss or pain or crisis. And so we pick up the story of Jesus engaging with Martha and Mary at this time. Now, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were all really good friends of Jesus. He was such a close friend. The term they use for each other is like family. That's how close they were. And when Jesus was off ministering with his disciples, Lazarus becomes gravely ill. And Martha and Mary send him a a message to say, Lazarus, your your beloved friend is unwell. Now, as we can imagine, 2,000 years ago, they couldn't just send a text message or an email or do any kind of quick prompt messenger Uh, that we have these days. It was like the ultimate snail mail, right? And sending a message to Jesus, to the point that by the time Jesus actually received the message that they sent, Lazarus had already passed away. But still, Jesus waited a couple of days before he began the journey back to where Martha and Mary were. And so we pick up this story in John chapter 11, and I'm gonna start from verse 17, and we're gonna work our way through the next few verses. I'm gonna stop and start as I explain how Jesus encounters us in different ways. But the first couple of uh, verses kind of set the scene. So let's dig into John chapter 11 as we read. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days already. Now this number, four days, is is already significant in the telling of the story. Because it was Jewish understanding around that time that the spirit of someone who had passed stayed around the body for up to three days. But as the fourth day came into effect and the body changed and the the color of the face changed, it was thought that the spirit saw the change in the body, realized there was no hope for this person and the spirit would leave. So the fact that Jesus was only coming already on the fourth day, there was no hope. There was no uh, anticipation of a change happening here. Already, Jesus was way too late. But now in Bethany, was less than two miles from Jerusalem, Bethany, where Mary and Martha were. So many of the Jewish people of the region had come to Martha and Mary to console them over the loss of their brother. Now, Jerusalem is a significant destination in this story because Jerusalem was where all the religious leaders, gathered it was the religious kind of hub of the area and already jesus had ruffled enough feathers amongst the jewish religion that people did not like what he was saying they did not like him declaring that he was the messiah they didn't like how he was interpreting the scriptures so already they were looking for opportunities for him to be removed completely removed They were looking for ways to kill Jesus as a way of getting rid of him. So for Jesus to come to this place so close to Jerusalem, even his disciples were like, are you crazy? Why would you do this? Why would you risk your own life and going so close? And for what? For a guy who's already dead? Like, why would you do this, Jesus? Why would you risk yourself? And yet so often we see throughout all the Gospels Jesus constantly putting other people before himself. In fact, Timothy Keller writes about this Jesus encounter with Mary and Martha, knowing that Jesus was risking his own life by going to Lazarus's grave. Keller writes, and so Jesus knew the only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself into the grave. He knew the only way to interrupt Lazarus's funeral was to summon his own. If he was going to save us from death, he was going to have to go to the cross and bear the judgment we deserve. This is the God that we worship. This is our Savior and our Messiah. The fact that he would risk his own life for ours. And he was showing us this. And this this illustration, this story that we read of him coming to Lazarus's grave is such a great example of how far, the extent that Jesus was willing to go for each one of us today. And so we keep reading. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. So here we have two sisters responding in their grief very differently. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. What an incredible statement of faith. Here is a sister who has just lost her beloved brother only a couple of days in and the grief that she must have been experiencing at this time. And knowing full well she has seen it, she's experienced it, the incredible gifts that Jesus had and the incredible miracles that he performed in his life, knowing full well what he was capable of, and yet she is honest, and yet makes this incredible statement of faith. Some people, when they go through a crisis, their faith is the greatest thing that grounds them when they go through a crisis, a grief, a pain, a loss, then sometimes their faith is the only thing that they feel they have control and assurance over. And here is Martha, even in her grief and loss, declaring her faith and wanting to receive truth in return. She is declaring what she believes. And so what is Jesus' response to Martha who is declaring her truth? He says, your brother will come back to life again. Martha said, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. Incredible faith, if you want to know more about the resurrection at the last day, go back to last week's sermon and hear Tim preach on Revelation 21 and 22, this hope we have of the world being renewed, of Jesus coming, and the faith and the hope and the perseverance that we can have today for something better in the end days. But Jesus goes on in Martha's faith and says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies, and the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, he says to Martha. She replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. Here is Martha in her grief in her despair holding on to the one thing that she can be assured of her faith in jesus christ because when her world around her even her religious leaders want to shut him down and turn him away she believes and in her statement of belief jesus meets her and gives her a greater truth than she can ever imagine. As she is searching for something to hold on to, in a crisis when we often have no control, Jesus assures her of her faith, affirms it, confirms it, And reminds her that he truly is what she believes. He is the Messiah. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And he speaks to her in what she needs at the time. She's searching for truth. And he gives it to her. By confirming to her that while he is standing before her, 100% human, He is in fact confirming what she believes, that he is 100% God. He is the Messiah and the Savior. Keller writes, Jesus is both truly God and fully man. Not just God disguised as a man, not just man with an air of deity, but the God-man, his encounters first with Martha, then Mary show us, He is both God and human. Martha is searching in her crisis for truth. And Jesus steps into that truth and affirms it and confirms it and assures her that he is the resurrection and the life. And so the story goes on. When she had said this, Martha went and called her sister Mary saying privately, The teacher's here and is asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Here is Mary inside the house laying low. Whether she's sitting or reclining, whether she's taking a break from those that have gathered, she's lying down, it doesn't say specifically, but her position is that she is laying low. And I think her position physically is showing how she is feeling emotionally. She too is experiencing incredible loss, incredible grief, and experiencing it in a different way to her sister. And the phrase that she got up quickly can also be translated in she raised up. She raised up. This is the same kind of terminology we use. When Jesus' death and in his resurrection, he was raised up. He was raised up from the dead. And in saying that Mary, even in her lowly position, was raised up, it reminds us that we don't have to wait until the end times for our resurrection. We don't have to wait for our death, for Jesus to interact with us. We don't have to wait until the second coming for Jesus to come and encounter us. But we can experience times where just with Jesus being in our presence, we can be raised up. We can be changed from our position of where we once were to where we could possibly be. And Jesus does this in coming to Mary, and she is raised up. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had come out to meet him. Then the people who were with Mary in the house consoling her saw her get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. This was Jewish custom. They would stay around those who were weeping and their weeping and their mourning would be loud and expressive. And this is how they would be around those who were grieving. And they thought that's what she was gonna do and they were gonna go with her. Now when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." The exact same phrase as what Martha said to Mary, said to Jesus. However, Mary stops there. Mary doesn't go on to affirm her faith in Jesus. She doesn't go on to speak her truth. This is Mary's truth. This is her honesty. This is her laying to bear before Jesus' feet exactly how she feels. Jesus, if you had have been here, our situation would have been different. I may not be grieving. We may not be experiencing this loss and this pain. Mary is so honest, even without backing it up with a faith statement. This is where where Mary is at. Knowing the power that Jesus holds, knowing the incredible ability he has to perform a miracle. In, in Luke chapter 7, we hear when the centurion comes to him, Jesus doesn't even have to be in someone's presence to heal the centurion's servant. He just has to say a word. This is the Jesus that they know. And yet here they are grieving because for whatever reason, Jesus didn't act. He didn't come quickly enough. And I know in my own life and in talking to other people when they have experienced crisis, to be honest, sometimes when we experience crisis, our faith can be one of the most challenging things that we think about because not only are we experiencing a crisis here on earth, But when we believe in an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God who is all-powerful and can intervene into our situation in his divinity at any time, and yet when he doesn't, it ends up that we end up asking, why God? Why not? Why not me? Why not our situation? And so then not only are we having a crisis in our life, but suddenly we're having a crisis of faith as well. That that which we believed in and held true to is suddenly not caring for us and not ministering to us where we are at. And Mary represents this so beautifully by being so honest in saying, if you had have been here, things might have been different. But the thing about God, and as we read about all of Jesus' interactions, and we read through the Gospels, we're reminded that God doesn't promise us a perfect life. God promises us perfect love. And so often when we're in a time of crisis, we think that that love must be represented in him changing our situation, but it doesn't always work like that. Worsby, who's a New Testament commentator, as he speaks on this passage, he says, God's love for his own is not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love. The fact that he loves us and we love him is no guarantee that we will be sheltered from the problems and pains of life. After all, the father loves his son. And yet the father permitted his beloved son to drink the cup of sorrow and experience the shame and pain of the cross. We must never think that love and suffering are incompatible. Certainly they unite in Jesus Christ. So often we think if we are suffering and there is pain that maybe God has forgotten us and that he doesn't love us. They are not mutually exclusive. They are not incompatible. And so how does Jesus respond to Mary? How does Jesus enter into and encounter Mary in her blunt honesty, in her grief, in her loss? Does he turn to Mary and say, come on, Mary, can't you be more like Martha? I mean, she kind of said the same thing, but then she confessed her faith. Be more like someone else. Come on, Mary, where is your faith? Do you not know me at all, Mary? Is this how Jesus responds? Does he just confirm to her what she already believes because that's what Martha needed? Let's read on to see how Jesus engaged with Mary. When Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed can you hear how jesus steps into the emotion that that mary is showing he steps in he is so deeply moved this is jesus a hundred percent human but a hundred percent god understanding exactly where mary is at and he is intensely moved in spirit another translation of these words is he bellows with anger. Can you hear that emotion? He bellows with anger and is greatly distressed. Now is Jesus angry at Mary for her lack of faith? Is he angry at Mary and all those who are weeping, who are crying? Is he angry that they lack faith, when Martha has already shown that a human can, can show faith and want that truth, but it couldn't possibly be. Because in Matthew, in one of Jesus' most profound sermons, the second thing he says is, "'Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted.'" Jesus wouldn't say this in, in one moment and then later on down the track be angry at people who are weeping and who need comfort. But it goes on and he asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. See, Martha was seeking truth and Jesus stepped in and encountered her with truth. Mary needed tears. And Jesus steps in and encounters her with tears. Jesus wept. It wasn't the the Jewish custom of the loud weeping and mourning. This word means that tears streamed down his face. Because when Mary needed that comfort and that grief, when she expressed her loss through tears, Jesus stepped in and encountered her and responded in the way that she needed. Two completely different people expressing their grief, their loss, their pain, requiring something so different. And our God, can hold enough diversity in his arms that he can hold each of them so differently. And so how does the story end? Thus the people who had come to mourn said, look how much he loved them. But some of them said, this is the man who caused the blind man to see. Couldn't he have done something to keep Lazarus from dying? Jesus, intensely moved again, came to the tomb. Now, we have just finished a series on Revelation. And while we celebrated the conclusion of that series, it helps us to understand how Jesus is so moved in this passage. Not to put a spoiler on it, but right at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus already says that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knows his own power. He knows what's gonna happen. How can he be so deeply moved? Why is he so filled with his own grief, filled with this anger that is coming out? Is he angry at the people around him? How can he be when he knows that what's gonna happen? Why didn't Jesus just enter into Mary and Martha and say, I'm here. I'm the gift that you need. Stand aside. Did Lazarus come out and all was done? Why didn't Jesus just solve everything right from the beginning? Revelation gives us a great understanding of what Jesus is so emotional about. Because when we get an overarching revelation of Jesus Christ like we see in Revelation, we see that God is not angry about our emotions, but boy is he moved when he sees the evil one having power in our earth and moving in such a way that it brings death and destruction and how much pain and grief it brings to those that God loves. That's what Jesus gets emotional about. That's where Jesus' anger boils out, not at you and me, but at the deceiver who comes to kill and destroy, where Jesus comes to bring life and bring it to the fullest. And so Jesus is moved, not because he doesn't see that he can't have power, but he's moved because he sees the impact of how the evil one so brings us down time and time again. Now the tomb, it was a cave and a stone was placed across it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the the sister of the deceased who believed that Jesus could do all things, replied, Lord, by this time the body will have a bad smell because he's been buried four days. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you? that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you that you have listened to me. Jesus has been communicating with God right from the beginning. It's a constant communication. I knew that you always listened to me, but I said this for the sake of the crowd standing around me here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The one who had died came out, his feet and hands tied up with strips of cloth and a cloth wrapped around his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. How incredible that Jesus, he knew all along that this was going to happen. But so often Jesus' timing is not our timing. But that doesn't mean that God leaves us in our time of grief. doesn't mean that when we are suffering, when we go through pain, that Jesus is not there for us. This story explains to us that when we are deeply grieving, when we are hurting, no matter how we choose to express that, different to others around us. That Jesus has the ability to step in and encounter us with exactly the type of love we need. Yet when it comes to grief and loss, our society and even our church is so quick to move on. We're so quick to just Look at all the great things that are happening in life. We're so quick to to move on to that which is successful and that which is positive. And yet this process of sitting in our grief with our Messiah and Savior is such an important part of the love that Jesus has to offer to us. At the moment, as a ministry team, we're reading a book called "Healthy, uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And there's a whole chapter on grief and loss. And the writer Peter Scazzaro says this, our culture and our churches are loss-denying and grief-phobic. Loss-denying and grief-phobic. Our society has trained us well To pay attention to success but not to loss and pain in order to keep these feelings at bay we develop a variety of coping strategies to redirect our attention away from whatever painful reality we might be facing but this is not how god encounters us in our pain and grief he doesn't say to us Why can't you be like someone else? He doesn't say to us, just get over it. Move on. You've been grieving long enough. Jesus never said those words. And no matter how much our culture or those around us may say those words to us in different ways, our grief is still real to us. And Jesus is willing to encounter us wherever we are at. And so I'd actually like to take some time today, just a few moments for us to acknowledge the grief and pain we may have in our lives and for us to invite Jesus in to encounter us exactly where we are at. Because everyone's grief is different. Some people may be holding an incredible grief, a grief of a loved one who has has passed, a grief of deep, immense pain that we're still so close to the surface. Some people may be carrying a grief not of a, of a loved one, but maybe the end of a season. The end of some season of, of health, the season of within a job or a career. Some people might be holding some grief of maybe a death of a relationship, pain and suffering. And can I just say, fully aware that our children are in the service with us today. It doesn't matter how old you are, everyone experiences loss. And it is so important for us to acknowledge God is there for us. And Jesus desires to enter into that loss with us and encounter us in exactly where we are at. So I'm gonna invite everyone to stand. Stand with me. And if you are a parent here today, and you have a child with you, and I acknowledge this may not be the best time for you to go through this period of time, we're going to do it almost as a way of showing you how we can invite Jesus to enter in an encounter with us. And if there is another time in the next, 24, 48 hours where you can spend some time with Jesus in this way, then I encourage you to do this. So I encourage each person here to close their eyes. This is an individual response. This is purely between you and God. And if you are comfortable, I invite you to open up your hands as a symbolic way of holding what is on your heart in your hands. But also an openness in inviting Jesus to come in as well. And I encourage you in just this moment of silence to consider the grief that you are holding Consider the loss and the pain that may be heavy on your heart, may be deep in your gut, may be weighing your shoulders down. Maybe a grief that you personally are experiencing or something you know a loved one is experiencing and you are carrying that too. Let's be honest with God. doesn't matter how long you have been holding this, He knows. He has a greater understanding of what this means to you than anyone else you could explain it to. Whether this is the death of a, a loved one, the change of a role that you might be taking as you step more into a carer than a giver, whether it's something that is happening at work or in your family, amongst your friends or your neighbours. Maybe it's something from your past that is still there in the back of your mind. Let's invite Jesus to come in. I invite you to pray with me. So I pray for each one of us, God, creator of all things. We thank you for your perfect love. We thank you that you see us and you know us intimately. So much so that you know how we deal with things differently to anyone else. God, meet with us, we pray. Encounter us in our emotions, in our feelings, in our grief, in our loss. Meet with us, Jesus, just as you did with Mary and Martha. Jesus, we invite you in, knowing that you are there waiting for us to invite you in. God, raise us up, even though our situation may change. Raise us up with you, God, to experience the love that you desire to wash over us, God, if we desire your truth, give us your truth. God, if we desire your tears and your emotion, may we experience your tears and your emotion. Whatever it is we need, God, we believe you are a God who is capable of giving all things. And we receive it, God. We desire to encounter it. Step close to us, Jesus, just as you did with Mary and Martha. And we pray that it is not our will or our desire for a perfect life, but God, through your perfect love, have your way in us, we pray. In your mighty, healing, loving name, we pray. Amén.